everything. If you if you go onto YouTube right now and type in contractor, you'll see IT, software engineer, etc., etc. That's because that's just a hot market in general. Call it flexing your psychological muscle, you know. So really, this is looking like, okay, how can I move from just pure subjectivity into a state of objectivity between January and let's say March, April is a great time for contracting. It's fantastic. Hello and welcome to the Humanising Finance podcast with me, Crystal McGilvery. Here we get under the skin of money. We expose the emotional, cognitive and psychological factors that affect you and your money. Most importantly, we aim to leave you feeling empowered and with at least one nugget you can action immediately after listening. I am so excited. Today we have Michael Tabaradi, who is the founder of The Mastery Group, a coach training consultancy. Now they help professionals and students build strong portfolio careers through personal and professional development. Now Michael himself is a coach and a mentor practitioner. He has written four books and is a freelance contractor, mainly in the public sector space. Finally, Michael's specialisms is on topics such as emotional intelligence, life management, and of course, contracting. Michael, thank you for joining me today. Thank you for having me. That was such an amazing intro. I mean, I want to be introed like that all the time, so thank you. <laughs> That's okay. I tried my best. <laughs> no, you smashed it, man. Thank you. Now, today's topic of conversation is contracting, but as you know, we go that bit deeper on issues. We talk about today who it suits, the potential challenges. We touch ever so slightly on things such as neurodivergence, hi, uh, and the skills you need and how you can benefit your pocket, of course. Now, Michael has interesting experience. Uh, he does wonderful work and from my view is a great success. Now, you mentioned to me before that you were in 30K of debt before embarking on what I would call your financial success journey. Now, could you tell me a bit about that and how did that happen? Yeah, it was uh, definitely transformational, should we say. But, um, you know, as many of us listening to this have been in situations where maybe we've come from a single parent household or we've come from parents who have come abroad or whatever it may be, um, money's on our mind, you know, money's on our mind. We're trying to find ways to get out of this situation where money's affecting us. And that really was something that I was focusing on. So I've come from a Ghanaian background and heritage. And um, I thought I initially wanted to be a doctor. This wasn't drummed into my mind or anything like that. I just felt it sort of like ticked many different boxes. But I soon realized actually that wasn't for me. And I spent time wasting hours studying trying to get into graduate medicine quite a lot of time actually eight years of my life now i started to talk to different types of people who were talking about books like rich dad poor dad and think and grow rich and all these different things there so this is around 2014 2015 and uh got myself involved in a community of people who were involved in property investing they were known as tigrant uk back in the day and uh, it was a huge investment. I think it was like 10 or 11K of money I did not have, by the way. But they said to us, look, you can easily get, you know, a, a line of credit out via your bank if you say X, Y, and Z. So I did that. And the point being made here is that 
I was trying to use mentorship or courses or programs to try to accelerate my financial journey, so to speak, when really I wasn't ready to embark on some of this stuff. And I tried to find aggressive ways to exit the rat race by paying for more courses, more programs, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And I found myself in crazy debt. And yeah, for someone obviously who's trying to mentor other people, coach other people, whatever it may be, I felt a bit like a fraud. So I knew I needed to change things, but maybe I'm jumping the gun a little bit, but that's essentially what happened. You know, I looked at my situation, looked at my context and thought, no, something needs to change. But I wasn't ready for that change. It was misguided. I didn't have the right level of self-education and I ended up in crazy debt. Do you know what? It's such an understandable story. And I, I, you know, friends as well as you can see on social media that people are suggesting all these get rich quick schemes and these courses you pay ridiculous amounts of money for and all of a sudden you're going to be rich and it, it doesn't work. It's not a real thing. And, and I say that with my friends as well because people close to me come to me often and say, what do you think about this? And it's like, no, no, <laughs> you know, <laughs> when you look it. at all the people, yeah, it's, but it's understandably hard, you know, when people are struggling and they see success on social media and it looks so easy because we don't understand what's actually happened in the background for them to get there, you know, <laughs> people have gone on a long ass journey, you know, failed many times and then they've reached success, but the, the quick. Yeah. yeah, you know, really sort of like developing deep and solid networks and finding something that, again, you can connect to. I'm trying to not say passionate about because passion doesn't always pay the bills. It can do, you know, but there's, you know, let's be real. When it comes to business, the market always tells yeah. the truth. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And so I would explore those things first before just jumping and trying to make all this crazy money because we've seen some young guy who's 18 making a million a month. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? It's mad. <laughs> and, and I hear you. With, with your story, how does that, how did that link to contracting? Yeah, that's a good question. So, you know, as I made the decision to, again, stop paying for all these programs and courses, I wanted to focus more on developing a career within the NHS. And the only reason I got into the NHS was because I thought I was going to be, become a doctor. But then the plan soon became develop my skills as a manager, maybe become a director, whatever it may be. Now, I was a commissioner for a couple of years. And within this space, it was NHS England, so headquarters. I used to see quite a lot of contractors. And, you know, I heard they made money and, you know, they seemed pretty cool and all this kind of stuff there. And I would always try to find out, like, how to get into that space. But it was very hush-hush extremely hush hush now kind of forgot about that for a bit and a couple of years went by and i got a new role in nhsx as a senior implementation manager and the place was terrible crystal like absolutely terrible that the leadership was poor there was confusion in terms of like just their processes and all of that kind of stuff there and i was just constantly burnt out and in those four weeks i can't describe it as a voice because that that's not true but i had an insatiable feeling to quit. And there was no fear associated with it. And the question was, what am I actually going to do? Am I going to go coaching full time? And this was at a time where coaching was doing well for me, but not enough to pay all of the bills. 
So it's like, okay, coaching could be done. But what about contracting? I'm, you know, I haven't really sort of like exercised that in a while. And I'd recently formed really good friends with someone at this old company. And I wanted to ask them some questions about it. I was a bit scared because most people didn't want to share their sort of gems when it came to contracting. So I was like to her, her name's Katrina. I was like to her, uh, Katrina, you know, I just wanted to learn more about the contracting space. So I was just wondering if you had some time. She said, certainly. She said, you do this, this, that, and that. She introduced me to this person, that person, and that person. And, you know, you know, a couple of steps afterwards, spoke to an accountant, spoke to some agents, you know, told my old sort of like job place that I'm quitting. They tried to keep me there, but I was like, nope, it's not happening. And I successfully landed a role um, a couple of months later and I started my contracting journey. That's a really accelerated view, but it was because of my friend's ability to just open up and be honest about the industry and tell me how to go about it that has got me into this space. And I am forever grateful because, you know, I've been able to, well, there's a whole bunch of stuff I've done, but one of them, get <laughs> a house, you know? Um, another thing is obviously stuff with my fiance and the future and all that kind of stuff there. You know, so there's there's all this amazing stuff that contracting has enabled me to do. And that's because of that decision to bet on myself and not just bet on a system that I've relied on like most of my life. Thank you for sharing that. And it's it's funny because I did I did contracting and I do it every now and then um, if you know a good opportunity comes up. And I like how you ended that with you know, not bet on what you, you know, what we assume to be the norm, what, what we assume to be the only way to make money. There are so many ways you can make money. Uh, and you're right, sometimes you just need someone to show you the way. What is contracting? What is this world that no one's talking about, but I, I hear stuff about, and I think, you know, like you said, there's some questions I have afterwards, later, to talk about, you know, some of the myths and what people believe and what's right and what's wrong and what's true. Um, Okay, let's get to it. Let's let's get into it. So, <laughs> for many people listening, the thought of ca uh, contrasting can sound really, really distressing. Um, I'm going to say some negative stuff which people may associate, such as irregular gigs, you know, unstable pay, lack of sick pay, constant job hunting, um, regularly. And this one, I really want to stick on actually, regularly joining a new workplace, interpersonal mm -hmm. dynamics. And for many, that may sound like a nightmare. And I, if I give my own example, you know, someone who's on the autism spectrum, that whole social element can be really taxing for those who struggle to manage, you know, interpersonal relationships. And then also you've got money management, like brain explosion. My hair is so suitably styled, you know, like it contracting can sound really daunting. So could you talk to me about, again, on the personal side, the, you know, focus on the individual, who would contracting suit? Who is it good for? What kind of character, personality? Um, yeah, yeah, that's that's an extremely, extremely important question. And I would say that contracting suits the person who has an entrepreneurial spirit, I would say. You know, I call this whole phase of my life phase two. Because I'm not blind to the fact that you can just start a million dollar business and hey ho, it's all good. So it's for somebody who's entrepreneurially minded or somebody who's pretty confident in their specific niche. That niche could look like 
program or project management, change management or whatever it may be. Now, you have to be somebody who is okay with slightly being a little bit uncomfortable and trust sort of like the, the process of contracting. What I mean by that is, you know, educate yourself in terms of market trends. So for example, between January and let's say March, April is a great time for contracting. It's fantastic because typically you've got the public sector organizations or governments thinking about their budgets, thinking about who did they need to bring in on a short term or on a long term. You know, when it comes to summer, terrible time, everyone's on holiday. So there's no one to really talk to in terms of hiring managers and stuff. So I would say, even if you're not the entrepreneurially spirited person or someone who has a strong, strong niche, well, the first thing you can do is educate yourself within the space. Try to understand the, the rhythm, the cadence, the structure, uh, the market, the opportunities, whether your experience lies in some of those things and how that feels to you. Like, are you comfortable being in the unknown for a bit? The other thing I'd say is, again, if you're not one of those two things, it's, it's trying to see what your money habits are like as well. Th seriously, if my money habits were terrible, <laughs> I'm telling you, there's certain things I wouldn't be able to do. So even if they're, they're not that great, this will be one of the first times where you really test yourself in terms of money management. You know, do you have enough saved? Do you have enough for your holidays or whatever it may be? So I don't want to say contracting is for everyone because I don't think that's fair. But I will say it's for somebody who is entrepreneurially spirited or someone who's confident about their niche. You could also argue somebody who just wants to give it a go, but you have to be risk adverse if that's the case. Thank you for that. I really like that. Um, and, and it's really useful, I imagine, for listeners as well, for you to share the period of the year that actually, if you're thinking of jumping ship and giving it a go, this is the time to do it. Give it a go at this point. And as well, your last point about the whole money habits side of it. And that's what sticks out in my head as well. Of course it does. Um, but you know, <laughs> and linking it back to kind of, you know, the, the softer skills. So like, um, you know, controlling your emotions or just being self-aware of who you are and how you work and it's very much executive functioning type stuff. Right. And, you know, with those that are neurodivergent, obviously struggle with that, but, I don't think that completely writes them off because you can, like you teach, I imagine as well, you can, you know, life management, like, you know, similar to what I teach, you can learn how to work with how you work, you know? So you can be a contractor who has jobs that last for a certain period of time and there's a gap and it's like, okay, now, you know, I'm back to the money management piece. It just means, or part of it means having that kind of emergency fund or having savings on top of your emergency fund so you can not work for several months and that's absolutely fine and as well given you're paid you know a bit more when you're contracting that's much more viable um so yeah i really 100%. like your points no 100 percent. i mean just to even follow on from that very quickly you're 100 correct yeah. in terms of like those softer skills you know um i'm a big big believer in the whole basic emotional intelligence model you know, uh, self-awareness, self-management, social awareness, social management, and then motivation as well. And just leaning into understanding yourself and how you operate in the context of being a professional, so to speak, is enough. You know, 
And what I mean by being a professional is getting the basics done right well. The money management, networking with people, knowing your basic structures within your specific niche, understanding the industry, whatever it may be. It's, it's having a certain level of, I think they call it flexing your psychological muscle, you know. So really, this is looking like, okay, how can I move from just pure subjectivity into a state of objectivity where I can be a professional? You know, I mean, one of the benefits of being a contractor is that you don't need to necessarily get in involved in all of the politica. So that's what I mean in terms of like far removing yourself. Now, again, you raised a, a brilliant point before in terms of the frequency of moving, you know, it, and it's not always going to be the case, but if you provide enough value, you rarely ever just stay there for the length of time that they have contracted you to stay there for, you know, because they can see that actually this person knows what they're talking about, whether you feel that way or not, or this person delivers or whatever it may be. So there are ways around it and there are small little techniques you can utilize. Thanks, Michael. Okay, now tell me if this is true for, you know, on your side of the camera, but obviously as a contractor myself and I've done contracting and I think I will continue to do it. But from listening, we hear a lot about IT contractors as the thing that people know most about or at least know that they make lots of money. And, you know, maybe close behind that is finance contractors, right? In your opinion or from what you can see, because obviously you're in the um, public health sector, but from what you understand, what industries would you say are great and kind of why? Yeah, great question. So it's interesting. If you if you go onto YouTube right now and type in contractor, you'll see IT, software engineer, et cetera, et cetera. That's because that's just a hot market in general. It is true that IT and uh, finance is hot, but healthcare is also hot. I would argue security is pretty hot at the moment. Most public sector organizations are pretty hot. And the way you know this is based on just listening to budgets that are announced, you know, when it comes to those sort of periods of time. Um, other things that are pretty hot at the moment or starting to climb is the environment. So I'm, I'm, I'm currently within that space, DEFRA. So I've moved from health healthcare, currently working for DEFRA. Um, but sometimes it's not just the niche market. Sometimes it's the type of role. So I talk about this whole idea of having a generalist role and the specialist role. And so your generalist role may be project management, but your specialist role may be something like, I don't know, FinTech transformation change manager. That's very specific, you know? Don't just look at tech and finance. There's many other industries, even more so than the ones I've highlighted, but focus more on what is your generalist niche and what is your specialist niche. I like that, thank you. And it makes me think as well, when you were talking about kind of what's happening, if we think about the economy and what the government want and what they're focusing on, where they're putting them, you know, the money towards, maybe there's a conversation there around, well, what areas could I get into? Because for the next five years, actually, these are really attractive. You know, yes. and when you talk about uh, project management, you know, just go and do a, was it Agile or Prince 2? I've done Prince 2. Um, do a Prince 2 course, then all of a sudden, you are really sexy, you know? And <laughs> yeah. project management pays really nicely. Um, and I know that change management does as well, which actually has got me thinking. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh. 
<laughs> okay. I have another question for you. Go ahead. When it comes to navigating our day-to-day -day finances, so this is a very kind of financy-ish type question to lead anyway. I, I can hear that people look at contracting negatively because of the way that finance is when it comes to contracting, right? It's a bit like, uh, does that mean I can't get a mortgage? But we know that obviously when it comes to contracting, how things are calculated is slightly different. For example, looking at your mortgage, they use your day rate to calculate an equivalent salary before they multiply it up and give you, you know, what they'd be happy to lend to you. With that in mind, I imagine you come across a lot of myths around contracting and the challenges that it could potentially create. Could you share and maybe debunk some of those myths so people can hear, you know, what is correct about contracting? Yeah, sure. Uh, first one is you can't get a mortgage if you're a contractor. It's hard to get a mortgage if you're a contractor. Not true. Um, Not true. So, so just to explain, um, you know, depending on the type of contractor you are. So if you're an inside of IR35 contractor or outside of IR35 contractor. So let's start with number one. If you're working inside, you're based on HMRC, you're seen as somebody who works for a company. You're an employee of that company. So whether you're working or not, you're still working for that company. And so as long as the bank can see that you are working for this company and there's proof of payment, that's fine. That's how I did it. So I just stayed with the same umbrella. There's also those who have their own limited company. They say, oh, you can make more money doing that, which is true. But, you know, there's all this other stuff involved. I think with them, you need at least a year's worth of accounts to show that you've been paid regularly. You're, you're the expert, so you'll probably know better than me. I'm going to jump in there, actually. No, you don't. I think they look ah. at the case by case. Um, it I depends see. on the type of, yeah, it depends on the type of contracting. If, for example, you're brand new, then mm -hmm. yes, you're right. They will want to see a year's worth. But for example, me being an accountant for say 13 years, full okay, time. Yeah. Yeah. Then it's like, well, you clearly know this industry, so it's okay. <laughs> yeah. I hear you. I hear you. I hear you. So yes, mm. myth debunked there. Um, a second thing is, let me think. Um, I'm trying to think now. So another thing is when it comes to sort of like payment, actually. So some people don't really know how much contractors get paid. And the best way for me to explain this is if you're going into a role that is similar to what you did as an employee, I would sort of like times your sort of like annual amount by 1.5 to two, depending on the industry. And that will give you a pro rata number. Now, of course, you won't get that number if you, you're off and all that kind of stuff there. But just think about that. That's a considerable amount of money that you're making relative to what you were making before. I'm trying to think of some more. Can, is there any you can think of? And maybe I can debunk some of those. <laughs> Good question. I mean, I think the conversation around kind of sick pay, <laughs> the fact that it doesn't uh, exist, is, is not a myth, right? Sick pay doesn't yeah. exist. But I think your point um, around the fact that your pay is considerably higher it's for you, and this goes back to the conversation earlier, right? When it, you know, when we talk about money habits and money management, you know, you're not going to be working every single day. So ideally, you're going to contribute some of that pay that you get, which is real juicy, 
you're going to put it somewhere <laughs> ready. <laughs> I mean, look, if someone's doing contracting for the first time, right, imagine, look at the difference in their pay in the first month. Like, I remember when yeah. I started contracting, I was like, whoa, 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 what is this? <laughs> and I did, it, I did it straight for a limited company as well. So, right, right, right. So it was a lot. <laughs> it was a lot. So I, you know, your, your rate is so much higher. So you can be contracting sure. and be on their payroll. Right. And that's, that's yeah. also maybe a good point to, to make. And I think you alluded to it there, mm -hmm. which means you're being paid net, which sure might be a bit higher than if you were a full employee. Mm -hmm. But actually, when you were contracting via your own company, you're getting all of that money. Because if I just go into the finances for a sec, that company no longer has to pay national insurance on your behalf. Mm -hmm. When you're an employee, an employer has to pay an additional tax called national insurance on top of um, the pay they're paying you. And obviously you pay national insurance as well. So, you know, national insurance is getting chucked to the tax man. They're all happy. But the fact that the employer doesn't have to pay that NI on your behalf, mm -hmm. you can kind of increase how much you're, you're being paid per day. So your pay at the end of the month looks good. It, it, it looks very healthy. <laughs> it looks extremely healthy. And you know what? That reminded me of another one. And... Um, you know, I'm saying this to your audience because they need to really understand this. So one myth is, oh, when it comes to, you know, working under your limited company or outside of IF35, the admins a lot and all of that kind of stuff there. That's a half myth. What I mean by that is, yeah, that's going to be true if you don't invest in a good accountant. Get an account. Look, speak to Crystal. Like, I'm not even joking. Having an accountant has been one of the most sensible things that I've done because it's not only from the financial administration side of things. Of course, I have to do some admin as well. But two, it's the education. Oh my gosh, I feel like I've got my own personal mentor just <laughs> educating me on different ideas and things I can do and yeah. ways to save money or whatever it may be. So that is fundamental. You know, I'm getting paid additional monies not knowing why but i'm like okay <laughs> that's my account i'm doing, doing good job. <laughs> exactly so yeah if you if you don't have an accountant and you're thinking to do outside roles because maybe it suits your lifestyle or it's more lucrative speak to crystal yeah it's a really good point and i don't know why i didn't include it in in the questions but yeah you're right having an accountant to help you smartly structure your pay stru smartly structure your limited company if you decide to go down that route you know there's basically just smart ways you can pay yourself and reduce the tax i had to think about my word in there you know i didn't want to say anything that was <laughs> yeah, course, really wrong <laughs> <laughs> um and reduce the amount of tax you pay and why would you not do that and as well mm -hmm. in you know at the same time what you pay your accountant is nothing in compared to the amount of money you will save and ultimately have in your pocket, right? Exactly, exactly that. Um, and I guess, I guess this is not a myth, but something to be aware of, you know, for those of you who are listening to this thinking, okay, maybe, I, you know, possibly I want to get involved in contracting, whatever it may be, but you're not sure what the costs are up front. You don't necessarily need to worry about that too tough. And I say that because when you start contracting, if your accountant is charging you, you're most likely going to get your wad of money before they charge you. If you're, you know, working um, 
inside of IR35 under an umbrella, again, that's like 12 to 18 pounds a week of your pay that they're taking off. But the point is you have to get paid first before they take that off. So I wouldn't worry about those costs. Um, even if you're not confident about, again, setting up your own limited company as an example, they can do that for you for a small fee. So yeah, maybe there's that cost, but that's about it really. There's a, there's a few other things here and there, but they're nominal. So yeah, it's possible, it's possible. Thank you, Michael. Now we have a last question. And I guess this is for those who are a little bit nervous or fearful about contracting. Do you have any suggestions for them? Uh, maybe a way that, something that could help them on their journey, um, especially hearing all this talk about more money. <laughs> Come on. So, um, I, I, by the way, I just want to say I'm really enjoying this, by the way. It's a fantastic podcast. You're a great host. Love the question. So I just wanted to Thank you. let the audience hear this. So, <laughs> Thank um, you. <laughs> yeah, no, definitely, man. So, yeah, no, it's a great question. So I would say, so here are some things you can do, okay? The first thing is to speak to as many appropriate people as possible. What that looks like is other contractors. Try to understand their journey. Try to understand their challenges, their successes, all of those different things. The second thing I'll, I'll do is talk to agents, okay? So if they can't offer agents to you, what you can do is go on to places like CV Library or Read or whatever it may be, JobServe, and apply for roles. And you're going to get phone calls and emails from people. And that's where you can start to develop a relationship with some of these agents. The third thing you can do is speak to an accountant. Okay, Try to understand what needs to be done. Understand the difference between inside of IR35, outside of IR35, any changes to policy, etc., etc., And try to get them to do an illustration for you based on a day rate that makes sense. Now, the question is, oh, what's my day rate? Okay. Now, you can find this out in many different ways. One way you can do is when you're speaking to these agents, you ask them, okay, what's your range? So you always go for the higher range. Second thing you can do is check to see what the market says on CV library and try to work out where you think you fit on that. Or the third thing is maybe you could get a steer from the contractors you speak to. So there are multiple different ways in which you can do that. And the last person you should speak to is people from organizations you used to work in. They're always talking about roles coming up or whatever it may be. There may be opportunities that way. Nepotism is real, boy. Trust me. <laughs> so, Listen, we're not getting into that today. Listen, that's the whole conversation. <laughs> <laughs> Let's leave that for now. So, so, so there's that. So then once you've got all of this information, there should be a sense of, well, increased confidence, should we say. You know, there, there still may be a bit of imposter syndrome. But what I guess you could do after that is number one start applying for roles whether you get them or not you know just apply for roles and just get familiar with speaking to agents now they're gonna want to see your cv so make sure that's on point they're gonna want to know what sort of industry or niche you're in so get familiar with your generalist and specialist roles and again it's an opportunity for you to just touch base touch base with all these different people the final thing I would do is 
just be clear about your leaving policy that is the biggest hurdle for most people most people are scared to quit that's those are the questions i get all the time how did you quit what did you do etc etc and so i would understand how long it takes what the relationship is like with your line manager to know if you can sort of be flexible and stuff because i was lucky my line manager was, was flexible and then you can make a decision then you can make like a decision that. you've done enough sort of like practical structural stuff to then make a decision you know so it's not easy at times for some people but for others it's a no-brainer you just need to know where you sit in that camp and if you're not quite ready it's okay it's not going anywhere contracting is something no, that is needed not. in our industry no it's not and I, I think this makes me think to link back to what you said earlier about <clears throat> the different types of contracting you know you've got specialist and you've got generalist generalist i imagine is much easier to get into especially as you can go and learn the general skills quite easy whereas the specialist you might need a bit more experience to convince to get paid at a certain level um and i guess you know back to what you were saying just now it sounds like a lot of self-reflection just being clear about where you are what the steps are and i really like your i think it was your first point about talking to others who are contracting that helps totally you know get rid of any kind of walls that you've got up about you know this is hard this is you know how and yeah i really like that Michael, thank you so much. Thank you. It was thank absolutely really lovely having you today. Can you please share with our listeners where they can find you? Yes. So I'm predominantly on LinkedIn. I'm also on YouTube where I share a lot of tips and tricks around contracting, life management and positive psychology. And um, for anyone who's interested, you know, I have a course on contracting called The Independent Consultant. A guide to becoming a contractor within the UK. So, Crystal has a special link that you can check out if anything. And if you want coaching around this stuff, again, feel free to reach out. Thank you so much. And I'm, of course, going to share everything below so it'll be easy access. Like I said right at the beginning, the aim is to leave you with one actionable thing you can do straight after listening. And hopefully, all the links that will be below pointing you towards Michael will help you do that. Michael, thank you again. Appreciate Thank you your very time. much. Really appreciate it. Thank you. Now, I hope you found that useful. We heard from the wonderful Michael talking all things contracting. He has some great insights as far as I was concerned. The fact that you should have an entrepreneurial spirit if you are looking to get into contracting. And you may remember we spoke about the myths around contracting, such as getting a mortgage or your pensions and things like that. And then more importantly, when you are thinking or if you're thinking about getting into contracting, speak to those who are already doing it. That is crucial. Get some inside information about what it's like to contract and how to get started. Now, until next time, take care of yourself. Bye.